I know I've done it once and it was like the most humbling experience I've ever I've ever <laughs> had because it was just like, wow, I really suck at bikes, turns out. <laughs> All yeah, I know well, how to do is go straight. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, most triathletes are like that. So, you know, I don't know what triathletes, like how they rate themselves. But, uh, you know, the rest of the people who bike uh, definitely don't rate triathletes. On the Dunning-Kruger curve of, uh, of bike handling, I think triathletes are probably like up Mount Stupid a little bit. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Uh, joining me today is Dr. Matt Miller, who is uh, a mountain bike scientist, which I think you know that should be on a mug somewhere because that's that's a great uh, that's a great description of what somebody is. Uh, he also coaches at uh, MTBPhD.com. Uh, Matt completed a PhD in sports science, a sport and exercise science at Massey University, where he researched mountain bike performance and lectured on apply, applied sports science. Matt has raced mountain bikes for the last 20 years and spent time at the elite level. He has advised athletes from beginner up to the top of the World Cup, including a five times USA national champ. Matt's professional practice centers around data analysis in mountain bike, and he created the world's first brake power meter and analytics called Brakeace. So Brakeace is where we're going to start. But before we do that, uh, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. And uh, uh, why don't you fill in some gaps from that uh, quick introduction that I just read out? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. I've been listening to a lot of your podcast episodes, and I've been actually you inspired me to write this one article. I was out for a walk, and I was like, "Oh, I know what I'm going to write." So I went home and I just wrote like two thousand word article, real oh, quick. Oh, sick! And, <laughs> Tell uh, me what it was. <laughs> what was it? What was it on? Well, I can't actually. The it's weird because I ended up finding out that you do a lot of aerodynamic stuff, which you actually don't talk about much in the podcast. But okay. I ended up we don't writing talk about aerodynamics much in the podcast. I didn't like all the episodes I listened to. I didn't oh. hear much about it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And here, so, here we think Andrew and I always assume that we talk way too much about aerodynamics. I guess we're not, we're not even uh, filling the need yet. <laughs> well, it was the one I listened to. It wasn't even about aerodynamics at all, but I ended up thinking, I forget why, but mm. I wrote the four things that slow you down. And one of them ended up being aerodynamic drag. But actually, like, really minimize the effect of aerodynamic drag compared to all of the other things. Well, I guess in, in the mountain world, it's a, it's a it, that would make sense, right? Because you you folks are doing a lot more elevation and your speeds are slower, right? So that's yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you've got the you know the the change in potential energy, that's a big one in those in the buckets. Um, I'll send you an episode that you should listen to where we talk okay, about those yeah, buckets. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, for that it would make sense that of all the cycling disciplines that we normally think about, you know, road time trial, triathlon, you know, uh, even cross and gravel, mountain bike would be where aero drag is the, is the least important for sure. Yeah. So uh, was there anything that I missed in the introduction? Anything else you want to add to flesh it out? Uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Like I do mountain bike stuff all day, every day. Um, I love to ride. I live in Rotorua, New Zealand. I'm from the States, but I live in Rotorua, New Zealand, which is like the mountain bike mecca. I live two minutes away from one of the greatest trail networks that exists. And yeah, I love it. So yeah, I just, uh, mostly what I do is I, I lead this amazing team 
to make the world's first brake power meter. And mm-hmm. we, we have just a, a real great group that's making it happen. And, you know, that's one of the, the coolest things uh, ever, just like seeing everyone come together for, on this mission to like help mountain bikers understand their braking and triathletes and things like that too. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. That's, and so uh, listeners uh, to our show are no doubt familiar with cycling power meters, the, the kind that are in some fashion attached to your drivetrain that are measuring the mechanical power that you, the, the cyclist are putting into the pedals and eventually ending up in the, in the tarmac or, or in the, you know, the dirt as the case may be. But uh, a brake power meter is, is not an intuitive concept. So can you describe uh what are you trying to accomplish and uh, how you go about doing it? Yeah, well, so the brake power meter, uh, it measures the brake force mm-hmm. and, well, torque, and then this, the speed of your wheel. So you multiply that and you get power. So just like your propulsive power meter, which actually mm-hmm. we had to like start differentiating the words, propulsive power meter, brake power meter, uh, because <laughs> okay, I was fair. doing like all this research on braking. Um, so you know, we combine them sometimes where we're measuring your propulsive power and your braking power. But it was like this whole can of worms that just kind of came up as part of my PhD. We were studying vibrations and tire pressures and suspension and pacing and things like that. Mm. And one of the things that I wanted to do was model the W prime balance uh, algorithm and use it in mountain biking. Okay. But you couldn't actually do that because of the oxygen kinetics when you're going downhill. Because when you go downhill on a mountain bike, it's a lot of hard work. You don't mm-hmm. actually recover a lot, right? And so you're we not were, you're probably not pedaling that all that much necessarily. So yeah, you're not getting exactly. A lot of that, that that muscle contraction that drives some of that recovery. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's exactly it. But um, you know, you're uh, even though you're not pedaling, your oxygen uptake when you're going down a hill is like through the roof. It's sometimes higher than like huh. your your threshold um, oxygen uptake, and your heart rate goes up. And that's because of all these vibrations that you're damping. So oh, okay. we were like, okay, we need to understand this a little bit better. So we did a pacing trial down a hill, like down a mountain bike descent. So you go up at your uh, threshold, I can't remember, respiratory compensation point power. And mm-hmm. then you go down the hill and you either go at race pace without pedaling or race pace, which probably includes some pedaling. And they didn't okay. go any faster, whether they were pedaling or not. And that's when we were like, well, and the, the VO2 was like uh, no different as well okay so speed wasn't different whether you pedaled or not vo2 was like actually i think it was higher but anyway the point was that it's really hard to go down a hill on a mountain bike because of all these <laughs> sure vibrations is. so we couldn't yeah. do that model and we had to start looking at braking because we saw that pedaling didn't make you go faster down a hill so huh. then it was it kind of changed the course of my life and here we are <laughs> that's a that's a really neat story. I love it when you know you 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 start out looking for for one thing and then you end up finding something totally different and unexpected. That's uh, uh it's it's super fun when that happens. So um, what is what is being able to measure the braking power on a mountain bike? What does it tell you as as a rider or as a coach? How is it useful? Yeah. So basically, what we're the way we're using it is to describe your level of skill. Okay. So we did a lot of like research, like how do beginners break versus experts? And there's actually some really big differences in where they break and how hard they break. And even if they have no chain on their bike, it totally changes the way they go around like one turn. Hmm. So it's, it ends up being like, you know, we did like a 70 something meter track with one turn. Okay. And I think there was like two, two seconds difference between a beginner and a pro. Hmm. 
and that's without pedaling. Like there's a huge difference, and yeah. that's it's all attributed to braking and kind of how they approach the turn. So okay. So are you looking to then use the data that you've you've you know built up or will build up uh, in in well in your data collection phase and then trying to coach people on how to break more efficiently? Is that the the end goal or one of the goals? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the goal. Um, okay. There was always this question because I I invented this thing a while ago actually. Uh, it would have been like 2015, and it was massive. If you Google brake power meter, there's this monstrosity of a device that we built, <laughs> and I collected all okay. the data for my PhD on that thing. It was it was such a pain, but I used to take that around to like the trade shows, like Interbike, Eurobike, and I would show people and be like, "Wow, what do you do with it?" It's like <laughs> you measure your brake. Like I couldn't get my head around like the what do you do with a part because I was used to coaching mountain bikers, like coaching their fitness. Mm-hmm. I was coaching a lot of gravity riders. I look at their data when they're going uphill, and then I make a a judgment, and then we do a training intervention, help them get fitter. Sure. Um. So I thought, well, that's exactly what we're going to do with this brake power meter data for people going downhills. Huh. It's the same thing, but. uh it actually it, it gets to be a little bit more complicated than that because braking is really complex. Um, and I guess I really, since I was in research mode, I didn't have it much like uh, I didn't have much creativity in the way that you could give it to someone and like this is what they do with it. So I left the university in 2019, and that's when we focused on making the app that's really easy to use. It makes the data really easy to understand. And that's kind of what we pushed out on Kickstarter. And yeah, now here we are. Okay. So I've got, oh, uh, Ben, I've got so many questions. But uh, you mentioned Kickstarter uh, and an app. So where uh, in this, the development stage is uh, Breakace currently? Yeah, so we got modules coming on the way, which is awesome. So we're using modules that were used in a super popular power meter, propulsive power meter. It's actually the okay. same thing. Yep. So. I can just kind of plop them into yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly yeah. the like it's the same. You're measuring strain. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Um, the only difference is we need to know how fast the wheel's spinning, which mm-hmm. does make it a little bit different. We don't need to know how fast the cranks are spinning, so we need to make a few changes. Um, but yeah, that's cool. And so, so the modules are coming. So this is going to be you know commercially available. It's imminently commercially available, I suppose. Um, and then my my other question was. So then, how do folks use it? You said that you're you were surprised by the way that some people did use it when you when you gave it to them. Um, so what are some of the give me give me a case study? Like if I'm a, you know if I'm a beginner mountain bike or maybe I'm not buying one of these. If I'm a beginner, maybe I I should be. Or if I'm an intermediate or an advanced guy, pick a guy and say like, okay, he's going to use it or she's going to use it like this. Okay, so beginners, we've used it with beginners. Okay, um, so like the actual app. So one of the things that Breakace does, the Breakace app does, that not even power meter um, software does, is it sh- gives you three places on the trail where you can improve. Okay. So it you might break like 95 times going down like a three-minute trail. And that doesn't mean like you suck. Like actually, it just means you break 95 times, right? So then we like, we uh, the app generates all these scores for you so you can understand your brake intensity, your modulation, and your mm-hmm. brake duration. So okay. then you get like this whole picture of like what what you're doing as a rider down this hill. Um, but then it's like, okay, 95 times you braked. Now, what do I do to get faster? Break 94 times and suddenly I'm faster? <laughs> <laughs> There's actually 
maybe sometimes i mean sometimes it ends up being like that but um that's a lot to think about you're like well which mm-hmm. one first one last one 92nd one um 50 yeah, i don't know but um so we pick the the app filters through all your breaking based on these three different characteristics which are your intensity modulation and duration okay and that says okay these three places on the trail you go back to these three places on the trail and you focus on improving here so then what you can see is you can see your breaking pattern and then you can try new approaches so now you're like you imagine you look at the map you go to that place on the trail you're standing there you're looking at your breaking trace and you're going to try a new approach in that trail so Mm. let's say it's it's a left-hand turn and you really suck at left-hand turns so now I'm like, okay, what can I do to improve my left-hand turns? Okay, practice bike-body separation, mm-hmm. keep my heels down, elbows up, look through the turn. And a lot of times, um, especially with braking, it's about if you want to go faster, brake later, brake harder, and then get off the brakes and mm-hmm. maintain control through the turn. Hmm. Interesting. So it, it's, a, it's a tool where you would do some post-hoc analysis, right? It's not something like, you know, I'm, I'm still in my brain trying to com- compare and contrast it to a traditional propulsive power meter where I'm, I can do post-hoc analysis for sure, but I can also look at it during a workout and see, oh, I'm, I'm going at 200 watts. I want to be going at yeah. 280 <laughs> watts. It's whatever, yeah, no, right? no, 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 way. no, way. no, well, yeah, you know, be, anytime you a quick trip to the bush, I guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that would not be good. And that we're making sure to not do that. You know, with power meters, there's a delay in like how the data is sent to you. Sure. Cause mm-hmm. you, you get the data every one second and mm-hmm. what's happening in that one second, the electronic are averaging that out for you to give you a number but by the time it gets to your display there's a one second delay with braking you might break for only one second so if there's a delay and you're getting it in your head unit but the other thing is like you don't want to be looking at your head unit (laughs) when you're actually braking because that's like the time you need to be looking at the trail so uh yeah it's all like post hoc analysis and it's actually it's actually pretty simple like um especially with i've been using wired sensors for a really long time it's actually a little more complicated to get it onto my app um but the wireless version it goes straight to the app and you're good to go that's cool and so the app you mentioned uh, i just want to make this this point clear it actually does give you some guidance after the fact yeah. on like here's what yeah. you should be thinking about um and so there's a little bit and and how did you de- how did you folks develop that is that just from you know from piles of data that you've collected over the over the time you've been using it yeah exactly like we wanted break ace to be like a, the the rider gets it and they have something that they can do immediately. Mm, cool. Right. So the what we're focused on with Break Ace isn't actually like making um well, I mean the, the electronics are ready to go, right? So we don't need to focus on that a whole lot, but it's making the the, uh, the data as usable as possible. So that is like our our mission as our company's mission would be demystifying mountain bike performance. And it's not enough just to give you data. It's, we have to give you something that you can actually do. So we have those three key opportunities, which is what we call it. And then the whole, uh, like our journey as we progress through the product is going to be like, how can we give riders more tools to improve in these three key opportunities? So that mm. would be like, um, you know, if we, we understand everything about your braking, we can give you a, a video that helps coach you through this left-hand turn. Right. That's so that, cool. that is where we're headed with it. And that's our vision. 
It feels a little bit like, I, I don't want to project onto you, but like the way I'm hearing you speak, it feels like a little bit, you're like a kid in a candy store. There's just so many, so many ways you can attack this problem and so many options for, for exploring it. Yeah. Because uh, like, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm stuck in my way of thinking of, of the propulsive power meters and I think about them a lot and how they can be used and how, you know, you can improve the utility of them and how you can couple them to aero sensors and all that other fun stuff. But the, all of that, all of that work is, is, you know, iterative like you're you're making very small improvements on things that you've done before that you know 100 other people have done before and you're trying to find a new way potentially to use it but for you folks this is like you know uncharted waters here yeah it actually does feel like that and um now you know since that is our mission is to make the data super usable we're like mm, okay how can we do that with power meters how can hmm. we do that with suspension sen- sensors how can we do that with tire pressure sensors how can we do that with aerodynamics, which I don't know anything about, but, um, <laughs> you know, like we, if we can, like, there's a real lack of having all this data in one place, like all these data systems, apart from SRAM's axis, they kind of operate in silos and you, you might have your shock sensor, which is its own app. And then you might have your tire whiz, which goes into the axis app and you don't know what to do with it after that. <laughs> yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> so yeah that that is like we're like hmm i think we can do this key opportunity strategy and we can take it uh further so that's our future so matt i'm going to introduce you to mark graveline see he uh he's been on the show a couple of times and he is an aerodynamics expert and he is building uh, a sensor uh which he lovingly calls the gizmo which hopefully will be out in uh uh, in the summer, but uh, I'm not. I'm going to keep this digression short. I promise. But one of the fun things that the Gizmo is doing is that it is trying to do something similar to what you're describing. In that, it's trying to uh, collate all of this data. So your, you know, like you said, the, your um, uh, your power. Well, in, in our case, it'd be the propulsive power meter data, the aerodynamic uh, information that it receives from like w- wind velocity. Uh, it's got vibration sensors. It's got uh, IMUs that are measuring inclination and angle, a barrel altimeter. And all of these things that you need to, to collect and all this data that you need to have to have a really good, accurate picture of aerodynamic drag, the gizmo is collating. So uh, one of the things that Mark is really passionate about is a device like like what you're describing that can take all of those all of all of that uh, in all of those inputs in and give you something useful in the at the end of the day. So it might you might be working on parallel tracks where you're doing it in the in the mountain world and he's doing it in the kind of the tri road world. Yeah, absolutely. Get us in touch. And yeah, that sounds cool. That's the most important thing. Like uh, our phones could give us so much data, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, how many times you look at it, how many times the light comes on and how many times it bounces around in your pocket. But it kind of doesn't matter because like, what do you do with that? Like who cares how much, how many times your phone bounces in your pocket? And like sometimes I feel like power meters get a bit like that. Where it's like, well, okay. So what? What like what? What do I do with that? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and obviously, like I work as a coach as well, and that that is my job. Um, so I'm wondering, like, when is a computer going to take away my job? Maybe, <laughs> maybe it'd be good for everyone. But like, to give the data utility is, I think, really important. I think we got really lucky with power meters, where you know, training peaks. They obviously do like an incredible job at make like displaying the data in a way that it is useful but still i think we could say like do this right and then you have something to do like immediately i think that is important 
I totally agree. There's there's a lot of room for for interpreting it and uh, and making it make sense and and figuring out what to do with it because there's a lot of you know so what devices out there. I think there's so many there's so many gizmos out there. Not no, I shouldn't use gizmo because that's Mark's device, and I actually think that it does a great <laughs> job. There's so many doohickeys out there that yeah. uh, that uh, you know give you they they work. They they give you the data that they promise to give you. Um, but then the question is, so what? Even for the longest yeah. time, power meters were a so what device because, you know, we, we didn't have a really good body of evidence for what to do with them or how to how to improve these things. And now we do. I yeah. mean, but um, there's still lots it's a, of- It's a problem. Growth. You know, it's a problem when I think about Breakace as the company, like immediately what we did. And, you know, it was basically like I left my job and luckily- I was able to focus on Breakace full time and I was able to focus on being creative. Mm -hmm. But once you actually get into building a product and making sure a consumer can use it and there's no bugs and like the actual sensor works and the battery doesn't die, you get into product mode. So they actually creating a product that's super useful and a product that works really well become totally different things because you can't really focus on that creative mm. side. Yeah. And it's a it's an actual problem because you can make the next greatest power meter and if you make that thing work really good, you're not going to be able to focus on like the what to do with it part. So I think you know with Breakace it was very much like right place right time kind of thing. I was able to link up with this guy Nigel, who invented the shock whiz, which it um, deciphers your shock data. So that's now a, a Quark product. And okay. he, he, so it, it measures all your shock stuff and it tells you add this much pressure. And that's exactly what people want because now you got something that you can actually do. And when, you know, we talked, he's like, well, you have to do that with Breakace. So otherwise, like, who's going to use it? Like, if they don't know what to do with it, they're not going to use it. So yeah, I was in a, in a time where I could be creative, I didn't have to focus on the actual sensor. I was still using wired sensors connected to a box. It was heavy, ugly, and no one would buy it, and which is fine <laughs> because then we could focus on what to do with it. And now it's oh, the opposite. Awesome. Now we need to like sell stuff. Now, now it needs to look good and like, yeah, it can't, yeah. Be, it can't be, it can't be too heavy. It makes sense. Oh, that's very, that's such a, that's such a cool story. I, um, I definitely want to, you know, I want you to keep me up to date. And if I ever, you know, uh, if I ever get my, uh, get over my fear of mountain biking, then uh, I, I might have to take you up on one of these things and, uh, and, uh, and get, become a better mountain biker. But I first, I have to actually hit the trails. So why don't we, why don't we talk about mountain biking um because as i just finished saying i know exactly nothing about it i i um uh, listeners before we started recording i told matt the the story of how my some of my friends who i trail run with um encouraged me i won't say drag me out but encouraged me to come riding with them they're like oh you can ride my kid's bike it's it's what you know you'll, it's your size <laughs> it'll fit um and uh don't worry about it we'll we'll go easy on you and they did you know to their credit they were lovely about it but uh it was still one of the most like humbling experiences for somebody who's you know feels fairly confident on the road um, to then go onto the trails and then, and, and, you know, eat it a bunch of times and then ha- basically ride the brakes down every descent <laughs> and do, you know, do all the, all the newbie things. So, um, let's talk about mountain biking. Uh, let's talk about how it can be useful for folks like me, folks like triathletes, roadies, and, uh, why it might make sense to go and, uh, well, see if you're, see if you can find a bike, find a bike right now, but, uh, pick up a mountain bike and hit the trails. <laughs> 
Uh, you guys have the same problem we have here in uh, New Zealand. It's worldwide. It's worldwide. <laughs> yeah. I think it's worse for you folks because everything is harder and uh, I think harder to find in New Zealand. But uh, yeah. I, I actually coach one of my one of my closest friends and, and a gentleman I coach, he's a Kiwi. And uh, he was telling me even when he lived in New Zealand, you know, 10 years ago, it's uh, everything was twice the price of what it is in North America. Yeah, the, 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 I would say some of that's accurate. Um, but yeah, bikes are just unavailable. <laughs> I'd love well, to not, get a new bike. Um, <laughs> it's not much better here. No. So yeah. assuming you can't, assuming you can't find one, um, why would uh, why would a you know a tarmac rider decide to uh, hit the trails? I guess the same reason you decide to do anything because it's fun. <laughs> yes, um, that's the best answer. Okay, thank you. It, I'm so glad you started there as opposed to something technical. Yeah, no, it it is a good time. Um, you know, I started because my family had a bike shop and I grew up there and I used to sell mountain bikes and I didn't actually ride them. I was, and I was like, you know what? I better go try this out. We lived like one mile from the trails. Okay. Um, and yeah, I ended up just getting really into it cause I just had a good time. I could explore. I didn't have to throw or catch a ball and I didn't need teammates. So it was perfect for an introvert like myself. And, uh, you know, it was bumpy and you had to turn and jump over stuff and it was, you know, I really, really sucked. And then as I practiced, I got better and I also got fitter. So like there's a fitness component and then there's a skills component. So I guess most triathletes would probably really struggle with the skills component, even yep. though their fitness is probably really good, but it is I something that pretty accurate. Yep. <laughs> it, it improves really quickly. Um, yep. but you know, I, uh, not to bash on triathletes, but I don't, I'm not sure what no, they please think go ahead. about please themselves. Go ahead. Yep. Um, <laughs> The most, uh, so triathletes have this reputation of being like horrendous bike handlers. I don't know if it's cause they're like too much time indoors on Zwift or whatever, or too much time in the aero bars. But, <laughs> um, you know, if you're good at bike handling, uh, it's free speed, right? Mm -hmm. So if you break differently, that is literally a free, you know, uh, so I guess with the break ace example, if we take someone out with break ace one session, we can save them seven seconds in two minutes. That's without wow. like doing anything. That's just like changing their approach to three places, right? Hmm. So on average, we've saved seven seconds. And that's not like a, a blown out of proportion number. Like the, that's legit. Some like beginners are more. Um, and like, so you can improve really quickly and it's just about like making little changes, just like anything. It's like mm -hmm. doing a lot of little things right. So if you do one little thing a little bit better, you're suddenly a lot faster without pedaling. So mm -hmm. obviously like in a triathlon or like a Ironman or whatever, um, you're probably not going to break that much, but right. if you can break more efficiently when you are, that literally is free speed. So it's definitely the same on the trails. Um, you know, actually like the idea for break ace itself came, we were doing some research on to collect some data for this W prime balance model. I was racing against my supervisor, Steve. He's used to race for the Australian national team. Oh, okay. Um, he was, he's a bit of a legend, like a road cyclist. Um, and I knew what his FTP was. I knew what mine was. His yeah. was a lot higher than mine. <laughs> and we're, we found ourselves in an XC race racing together and he was okay. breaking in every turn. I could hear his brakes. They're obviously not tuned right or something, but <laughs> his kids were messing with it. I don't know. But, um, you know, I was literally getting free speed and able to keep up with him um, because he was braking too much. So, like, I think about then with Steve on the road, if we, like, assume road triathlon, kind of same thing-ish, you know, 
because you are on the bike on the road mm-hmm. in that respect. Um, think of like, what is Steve doing out on the road? And like, how could he be going actually faster in a road race when he's mm-hmm. going down a hill? Like how is he breaking like this down every road hill? I, I don't know. Cause we've actually never measured anyone's braking on the road bike, but okay. um, that is coming. We've been talking to some teams who are interested because, you know, in t- big tours, mm-hmm. um, people are losing time downhills like massively. For sure, descending descending is a big crits. deal in those in those big races. And crits, yeah. I, that, I was going to mention crits too, because there, there is in in any kind of road discipline in in crits, that's where you're going to get the most turning, right? The most turning, the most breaking. Um, so that that is that is fascinating. And we actually had um, uh, so Andrew, the, our co-host, uh, who couldn't be here today, unfortunately, his uh, former business partner Art Hare, who was on the show. Uh, about a year ago, he once did this analysis and we mentioned it on the show and I don't remember the numbers, but uh, I'll put them in the show notes, folks. Um, so what Art did was he he um, he took, I think it was a 5K course with four corners. I forget, maybe it was a 1K course with four corners. And he analyzed the speed that a cyclist could achieve uh, given the same power output. Um, and then one cyclist was was good at cornering and one was not good in cornering. And he defined it by different uh, different G-forces in the, into the corner. And he, you know, he said like, okay, a good cyclist should be able to hold this many Gs and a poor, a poor cyclist would be this many. And the difference was a astounding like it was uh, it was it was something where if um if you wanted to make up the gap like your prime example with your supervisor if you wanted to make up the gap if the poor bike handler wanted to make up the gap on the better bike handler he would have had to have put out quite a few more watts in order to do so so there was like a a really big metabolic cost for something that was you know as you put a free speed so it's not it's definitely not nothing yeah yeah absolutely I, i i think that like I would love to um, listen to that episode. Actually, that sounds pretty cool. So I'll, I'll send you the. Out, I'll but... send you the 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 actual number. I think Andrew mentioned it in one of our more recent episodes. I'll uh, I'll dig up which one it was and I'll send it to you because yeah, that's cool. where that's where he uh, he brought up that example, that case study. Um, okay, so now we've uh, we've figured out that we should all be riding trails because first of all, it's they're fun. <laughs> riding mountain bikes is super fun, <laughs> which I will attest to. Like even though I was afraid for my life almost the whole time, unless I was climbing, um, <laughs> that I was, and that's that's when I felt at home. Like okay, this 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 I understand sort of, and then even that was hard. Like whoa, these hills are steep, um, but uh, but then you can you know you can also work on your skills and become a faster road cyclist uh, triathlete. You know, especially on a, on a more technical course. Um, I know I've got uh, one of the one gentleman I work with was just asking me about doing um, doing Ironman Nice, and Nice is one of those courses where you have even very very good athletes riding road bikes as opposed to time trial bikes or triathlon bikes because of how technical the descents are in uh, in southern France. And so um, that one I sort of steered him away from because he's, not, he's you know, maybe the, the traditional triathlete where uh, <laughs> in terms of bike handling um, – but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely not it's definitely not to be overlooked, and especially for folks who are kind of bumping up against the ceiling of their fitness gains, right? So if you're, you know, if you are tapped out in terms of training hours, and uh, you know you've you've you're looking for those marginal gains, then uh, then bike handling can be non-marginal depending on the course, or marginal if the course is pretty flat. But um, yeah, uh, excellent point. So. How do we get into it? What's the so here you can use me in as, as an example. So I actually live close to some pretty okay trails for a city. I live in Toronto, big city, um, but in the valley, uh, there are a couple of river valleys here that have some you know some 
decent. I, I I have no frame of reference. Obviously, they're not like West Coast mountain <laughs> kind of trails, but they, you know, there there's a little bit of single track here. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have access to the trails. I can probably you know find my way about uh, find a bike for myself somewhere. Um, how do I get into trail riding? What are what are some of your tips for that? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, like um, if you go into a bike shop and you're like, yeah, I want a mountain bike. They're great. Like, oh, cool. What kind of riding do you do? So I, I, I worked at a bike shop since I was 10. Like I, like that's the first thing we ask. And you know, now I realize I was selling bikes when I was 10 and building them. Um, I was a bit of a legend at selling bikes, <laughs> but, um, um, the, the, I'd be like, where are you going to ride? And you know, most of what we sold was comfort bikes or whatever. So I already knew the answer was like on the bike paths so be like, oh, well, do you want a mountain bike or do you want a comfort bike? And like, if you're going in there to buy a bike, you got no idea what you want. Like, you just know, like you want to like do backflips and um, <laughs> ride down crazy down or something. Two pedals and a couple of wheels. <laughs> yeah. Some, maybe some shocks. Um, <laughs> so like, there's just like way too many choices. Honestly, even for myself, like there's way too many choices. It's like, do I want an enduro bike? Do I want a trail bike? Mm. Do I want a cross country bike? Do I want a hardtail, full suspension, carbon aluminum it's like oh my god now i need like a garage full of bikes just so i like <laughs> have the right choice to ride with my friends um but like i think with you know it's, your audience is mostly triathletes and they'd probably be wanting to like eventually try an xterra or something like that sure yeah um so yeah i would get like a f- full suspension because they're much smoother cross-country yep. bike and okay. the main difference being like um tires okay so there's like a huge range in what kind of tires you can use and these meaty ones these they're like borderline downhill tires they're so heavy and they roll so slow and for a beginner especially like it's going to be hard work going uphill really Mm -hmm. slow and then it's also going to be like pretty slow downhill and the way like modern cross-country bikes are set up now like they're really confidence inspiring like the geometry it just it feels great Mm-hmm. And the tires um, are actually plenty grippy unless you're going down something crazy steep. Okay. Um, so I would start with a, a, like a cross-country mountain bike is where I'd start. Get one of them. Okay. Get flat pedals. I'm going to ask you to rewind a little bit. So you, yeah, you yeah. mentioned the the disciplines, the different disciplines in mountain bike. Oh so why God, don't we start yeah. there? Because uh, okay. um, that's something I, I have a very, very nebulous idea of what they all are. But <laughs> okay. I, I can probably tell you what downhill is. But beyond that, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> that one is self de- self-descriptive, isn't it? Right? Downhill. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start there. So so downhill is pretty okay. st- straightforward. Um, and then let's start there and then work your way to, uh, you know, to the other end, to the probably the least downhill one. Okay. So, um, actually it might be easier to go all the way to the least downhill, which would be cross country, which is the Olympic discipline. So if you like watch mountain bike on the Olympics, it's going to be cross country racing and they basically do a short circuit. I mean, it's exactly like the kind of course that you'd get on an Xterra. So it's like some uphills that might be like gravel or double track or something like that. Some single track windy descents. And you repeat that circuit over and over usually in a cross country race. So the nice thing about a cross country race is like it's kind of a continuous go hard kind of thing, which mm. triathletes they froth that where you're basically <laughs> just like on yeah, we're, on we're, the we're limit for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so steady, steady application of power is what we know. It's about yeah. the only thing we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it ends up being like really um, 
unsteady i forget actually the word that i always use stochastic um yeah you know because you're pedaling like really hard up the hill and then you're coasting and you kind of recover and then you can pedal hard again so that also sounds like something triathletes would love but <laughs> <laughs> um you, yeah so that's cross country and you know it ends up being like pretty technical pretty bumpy sometimes but it's all usually rideable and you go for 20 mi- miles or something and then it's over okay um so yeah, that, and then downhill is the total opposite where you're racing literally down a ski hill with massive jumps, huge rocks, <laughs> and you're wearing all the gear to protect your uh, body yeah, okay. for when you inevitably hit the deck. That's <laughs> purely downhill um, and it's scary. And yeah. um, I would not advise maybe a triathlete to jump into that straight away. Stay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well away from that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, eventually. You know, it is pretty fun. But like, I guess the most popular one now is enduro, it's called. So you go out for like a pretty big day and you pedal easy up the hills with your friends okay. or whatever. And then you race individually down five oh. or six stages, which is pretty cool. So it's like maybe less extreme than downhill because you're doing like five or six downhill races that are less gnarly mm-hmm. um, but you also have this endurance component where you actually have to make it through the day and be able to do six race runs right um so even downhill like is crazy physical like i coach some world cup downhill racers and they're incredibly fit they're as fit as like you know a, a high level like age group xc guy and they can mm-hmm. also sprint and they can also hit massive jumps um <laughs> and enduro is like it pretty similar like you really need to be bloody fit they train almost exactly like a cross-country racer would for enduro but the days those races are longer and the courses are a little bit more technical than cross-country definitely yeah and the fact that you're not racing up the hills so the uh, the uphills generally act as like a liaison just to like get to the next race stage okay Um, but then you get to the race stage and then it's all out and then your time is an aggregate of all those race stages Okay. So that would be enduro. And that's super popular because you're using like a bike that can pedal uphill. Mm-hmm. A downhill bike, you'll never pedal that up a hill. Um, so you can pedal it up the hill and then it's like burly enough to make it down the hill. Um, okay. So it's really fun. It's super popular here in New Zealand. And um, I, when I lived in Pennsylvania, that's what we were doing right. as well. It's good fun. Cool. Okay. So let's say, let's say, you know, cross country is where, where, where we're going to start. You said, uh, get a full suspension, flat pedals. Uh, I think that's where, that's where, uh, that's where I cut in and asked you for, for some glossary <laughs> definitions. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's yeah. good to start with, um, those definitions. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, f- flat pedals, just start there. Cause like, you're going to like have to put a foot out and you don't want to have to like unclip at the same time. Um, so yeah, I would start with flat pedals, eventually change um, to clips, but yeah, start there and, um, just go out and enter, maybe not, yeah, maybe enter a race. Cause if you enter a race, the good thing is like the community in mountain bike races is, is a cool community. Everyone's Mm -hmm. like super supportive, real nice. And they like to mountain bike. So if you jump in a race, you'll meet some people and you'll have someone to ride with and then you'll, you'll get better by riding with other people for sure yeah it, it that's it, i find that that 
is really that's really great advice for any activity any sport where there's a technical component or a large technical component like for example swimming right tech big technical component and uh it, it really does help to swim with other people because they they do help you get better for the most part you know there's some exceptions um you can with time trialing with cycling you can probably get away without doing that for the most part if you're on the road but on mountain it makes a ton of sense and like uh the the anecdote i told earlier when i was riding with these these two guys who were like one of them is exceptionally good and the other one's still very very good um and they were it was excellent to have them because they basically talked me through the turns and be like okay on this one you want to break late do this um you got to make sure that you do not stop here you you got to power over this there's a little hop there you can do it just just keep your speed up like there were it was just a very confidence expiring experience if i did it by myself it would have been much much worse i would have <laughs> i would have been even that much more scared <laughs> but uh yeah I, I take your point and it's nice to um yeah and i think it's a nice counterpoint to and this isn't you this isn't uniform but the road culture sometimes is a little bit intimidating to new people so you know if you're if you're used to riding road and you're like oh man i remember what it was like starting in in group road riding and people would just give you shit if you you know didn't signal the right way or like well i was joking earlier <laughs> your socks were the wrong height yeah. um yeah that's that that was not my experience with with those couple of guys on mountain bikes yeah now mountain bikers are generally pretty supportive because they remember what it was like to be a beginner and yeah. they sucked as well. So, it's true. Everyone sucks in the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. I've the, I've taken a few people out mountain biking. And they were good right away. Like how? How do you? Yeah. How are you good right away? Oh, no, um, that's not me. No, it's, it's not most people. So yeah, um, everyone's generally supportive. Like I ride with beginners all the time. Um, nice. My my partner girlfriend is beginner, and we we still go out and we have fun. Um, yeah. So yeah, get get in with some people and they'll they'll show you the ropes. Oh yeah, I was I kind of I didn't well I didn't swear it off, but I was like, oh man, this is just too too hard. Like I hit a tree at one point, and I was like, I really dodged a bullet. Like the way I hit it was like <laughs> I was completely not hurt, um, but I was it could have been a lot. Like it put the fear in me, like it missed my collarbone by by maybe a centimeter. I like it took it in the soft part of my yeah. shoulder, which was great because it was just like sore <laughs> for a little bit. But a broken clavicle would have been a bad day, um, and so I was like, oh man, I don't think I can do this. I have two little kids too. Like I'm just too afraid for my life now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. too old to yeah. start, but you know, I do understand that. Um, I guess like the analogy I always give is that like mountain biking is not more dangerous. There's just like more things that you're running over. Like, man, talk about dangerous. Like riding out on the road is dangerous, you know. So, mountain biking generally is like, yeah, you're hitting some bumps and you might like hit a tree, but. You're not, not going to hit by a car. Run over. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's That's a really good point because I, I don't don't think twice about riding in traffic. So, you know, Toronto's yeah. a big city. It's about, I don't know, Metro's probably north of 4 million now. And it's uh, um, actually, no, Metro's for three. Uh, and I ride in traffic all the time. Like, I mean, not right now because there's a foot of snow out, but, um, you know, most, <laughs> most of the, most other times I don't, it doesn't bother me. Like, I mean, it's uncomfortable sometimes, but I do it all the time anyway. And this is just a, you know, it's, I guess it's the devil, you know, versus the one that, you know, scares you with a big root or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was the same way cause I trained mostly on the road back in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and now I live in Rotorua, which is mountain bike Mecca. I was like riding on the road less and it started to really scare me. Because now I head out on the road, I'm like, oh my god, that car was close. So I sold my road bike, <laughs> yeah. um, which actually I regret because I really miss it. And I love road riding. Um, but 
yeah, it, it, but yeah, it is scary. Like the less I do it, the the more scared I guess. Um, but yeah, it is fun. Have to get a new one. <laughs> there you go. Excuse to get a new bike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Matt, listen, this is super fun. I'm really glad that you reached out and uh, you offered to do this this episode because I, you know, I, I should, you know, get out of my comfort zone a little bit more, both in, in interviewing people, but also in uh, in actually riding bikes. That it kind of it kind of goes both ways. But uh, when you said, yeah, like, let's talk about mountain bikes. I'm like, man, I don't know a damn thing about mountain bikes. <laughs> like, I don't even know what kind of questions I'm going to ask on this show. But uh, it turned out to be really great. You were uh, you were a, a super guest. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, and if folks want to follow along, if they uh, if they want to learn more about Braycase, if they want to pick one up um, or if they you know, want to maybe hire you as a, as a coach, uh, what's the what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, internet stuff. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> internet stuff. I guess yeah. my my coaching stuff is mtbphd.com. Okay. Um, Braycase is obviously Braycase.com. But okay. um, I also do um educational stuff where i teach sports science to coaches and things like that oh cool. so um and teach people how to make sense of power meter stuff so i do also do that for running so i have a running power meter course with my co-host dr will o'connor um hmm. on the performance advantage podcast so we also do podcast stuff but i've learned a lot about running through him and um you know power is kind of my jam so we we combine forces to um, teach those things to coaches and athletes. We should talk about sidebar. We should talk about running power because I'm so on, I'm so not sold. I've been, oh, I've dude. had a stride forever. And, uh, oh my God. and, and so there's just, you know, and like, there are just things about it that I expected to work that do not work the way that I expect. And so it's just, I'm sure it's a, it's a, it's a gap in my knowledge, but it's uh, it's something that, you know, maybe we should, uh, we should have you back. Maybe yeah, you should have you Will on because Will, yeah. like, he's he's a, a legend of running power. He's writing a book on running with power. Well, wow, um, obviously we ha- we have that course together, and he he's an elite uh, ultra marathoner, so he knows more of the running lingo than I do. I just run a couple five k runs uh, every week, and that's about it. But yeah, he's he's your guy, and um, you know he's taught me a lot about running, and. Um, running power too. And he, he found a lot of these like issues with running power too. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, it's good for this. Not so good for this. So you guys might be able to have really good discussion. I think your audience would really like it. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we're, we're, uh, we have, you know, we have triathletes, we have cyclists, we have runners and the runners, uh, there's a couple of them that you usually be like, Hey, you know, it's been a while. I I can, uh, the, the, the joke, well, that's not the joke. The, the anecdote I always tell is, is, um, is this one guy, Michael talking about how, like, I can only listen to, you know, chain drag episodes for so long before I, (laughs) (laughs) before I get bored, give me, give me something about running. So, uh, I think um, I think that sounds like a like a great idea. So if you can put me in touch, that'd be great. Yeah, cool. Anyway, man, thank you. This is this has been super fun. And uh, listeners, thank you as well to you for for tuning in and uh, spending a bit of time with us. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Uh, help us spread the word about endurance innovation and uh, give us a five star rating and a review on iTunes. And of course, consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's at patreon.com/slash/endurance innovation. Thanks, everyone.